HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Southern T. And I'm Greg Benson. Greg Dry Benson. Oh, That's no. me. Gregory Dry Rodriguez Papadopoulos <laughs> Benson. It's long, many family names in there. Uh, yeah, Dry February. I'm doing it. I'm really, really one twenty eighth of the way towards doing it this time. I I I know you pick February because it's the shortest month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, what do you mean this time? Have you done it in the past and not not succeeded? No. Well, I just I have had this conversation internally and with friends so many times, and I would bet a huge chunk of money that I don't have that I'm not alone here. Where you think to yourself or you say out loud, you know, I should take a break from drinking, but this weekend isn't good for me because I've got this thing coming up, or like I can't do it now because like you know I'm supposed to have drinks with this person next week, and like so I'd have to do it after that. But then it's Thanksgiving or the Fourth of July or Somebody's Flag birthday, Day, and nobody Wednesday. wants to be sober on Flag Day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I I initially poo pooed the idea of dry January. I think I think it's a little I think it's a little silly. I think it's a little faddish, and I think that. um trying to put yourself into a hard stop like that immediately after January 1st. I mean, Jesus, yeah, your first day uh, of of 31 days of sobriety, like you're probably going to be nursing a hangover from what you did the night before. And you're just like feeling miserable about yourself and just like, oh, my God, what did I do? No, that's a that's a terrible way to approach this. Um, but for me, my holiday drinking never really uh, fell off the way it's supposed to in early January. And I was just kind of thinking to myself, you know what? It's I've never taken a break with parameters before. I've never had a serious break from this where I'm like, I'm going to start it at this date and end it at this date. And I think that for those of us that do this, one, it's really, really important to take time to actually rethink your relationship with drinking and actually, you know, be honest with yourself about the part that it plays in your life. Uh, I'm curious to see where I go from here. I'm curious to see what thoughts I have about, you know, what, what I miss, whether I miss 
drinking socially, whether I miss just like having a glass of, you know, Fernet or something, or, you know, cracking open a Pacifico at the end of the day, uh, whether I miss going out and getting wild, whether I miss like, you know, the, the release of it or whether I just miss the ritual. Um, and I'm curious to just kind of see what my life is like, what, what changes happen to my body when I don't put this thing into it that I put into it on an almost daily basis for like 15 years. But I think off the air, you mentioned to me, you're not only just giving up alcohol for the month, you're adding something back in, which I will begin to be okay with. I, I don't like the idea of a dry month. And we've talked about why I think you should take a, a day off every week. And then you have 52 days over the course of the year. And you don't have those guilty feelings about Thanksgiving or Christmas. You can say, well, it was, it fell on my day. I'll just do it. I'll be dry tomorrow. Um, and it's not such a shock to the system, but you're adding something in, right? You're going to do some exercise. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, do do some sort of workout every day, either lift weights or go for a run. Uh, it's been more lifting weights than running because I don't know if you all noticed there was a that we had some weather over the weekend and it's we still with us. Um, but just trying to, you know, um, see what happens when I move, when I when I transition from the release that, you know, maybe a couple beers would give me to like seeing if I can get there from the stress relief and the endorphins of, of working out. And, you know, maybe I'll come out of this looking like Chris Hemsworth and then I can take a lot of pictures <laughs> and just use those I forever. Say, uh, aim a little lower. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's important to have, it's important to have goals. Okay. That's the goal. If I wind up in sort of uh, I don't know, like a, like a Chris Pratt zone where it's like, ah, uh, he's trying, but it's like a little hair and he never quite got there. Like, I'll be happy with that. You know, <laughs> right. that's the, that's the reach goal. Uh, the end goal is, you know, the guy who used to be the fat dude on Parks and Rec. That's the, that's, that's the, <laughs> I think that's a happy medium. Yeah. But I like that. Yeah. But I think that, you know, I like that uh, I'm doing it in February because uh, three days shorter, first of all. Uh, the only major drinking holiday in uh, February, Valentine's Day, sucks. Uh, <laughs> And I don't know, I'm actually genuinely, I was, I was surprised by this, but that last weekend in, in January, the one that just happened, the one that I woke up with a horrible hangover from on Monday, uh, I was actually looking forward to, to this little experiment, to seeing what happens and to really using this as a chance not to get too, you know, preachy about it, but using this as a chance to kind of see, really get an objective view of the role that booze plays in my life. Um, and I'd encourage anybody. I mean, I'm only, I'm only one twenty eighth of the way in talk to me next week. Maybe I, you know, yeah, we're going to check in on your walls. We're going to check your progress each week. Yeah. 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 Next week's show. I can't fucking do this anymore, man. But you know, Dude. for I, now, after I'm over the, the, the incredibly easy part, uh, I'm in a position where I'd say, you know, if you're thinking about it, maybe think about it a little bit more, maybe try it, maybe try like a week and see how yeah. you feel. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing it, man. I'm glad it's you oh and not us. <laughs> um, not, and also, I've had two beers and a shot of Fernet in the whole time you were talking. Um, so, you know, but I don't know how. Come on, man. You're off pace. I don't know how 28 days is going to be. What were you just saying about goals, man? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it seems timely that we just got out of uh, dry Uary, and our last guest on the show was a maker of a non alcoholic uh, Amaro called Pathfinder, if you'll recall. Uh, and it's timely again that. This week's episode, we've got uh, my good friend, uh, contemporary and colleague, Derek Brown from Washington, D.C. on. Derek uh, is now the director of education for a spiritless uh, a company called Kentucky 74. They make a, a non-alcoholic 
bourbon rep or, 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 or contemporary. So we'll see about that. And he just put out his book, Mindful Mixology, which is all about low and no ABV. Welcome to the studio, Derek Brown. Hey, how are you? I'm awesome, man. I'm super happy to have you on the show. Yeah, um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. It's been a while, and there's plenty of stuff to talk about with what you've got going on. Um, I think top of mind, of course, uh, an article just came out yesterday in the Washingtonian um, that sadly your beautiful, beautiful bar, uh, the Columbia Room, is gonna gonna shut down. Uh, a bar that I might add, you've been behind many times. I have. Yes, uh, actually, you've been on both sides many times. If we, I have. Honest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And the first time we closed, uh, when we were moving to a larger space, you actually came down and you bartended for a night, for a week, for a night. It was for just night. one night. It was a, it was the twenty eighth of December. I remember I was I was one of the very last ones because you had, as I recall anyway, a, a, some different bartenders and bars coming in to sort of take over every night for the last month of uh, of the of the space, which was December, and that was yeah. 20, 2014, December twenty fourteen, right? Sounds right. And I was getting lazy, so I didn't want to bartend, so I just called on some <laughs> friends. Um, yeah, so, I mean, sadly is not the word for me. At okay. Least. I, I, there are feelings, uh, you know, uh, that I have. Obviously, the Columbia has been so much part of my identity over the last decade plus, um, and so much a part of what I've been doing. But it, it, ultimately, I'm happy to move on. You know, I can, you know... I, for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's my time. Um, everything that I've been doing has kind of changed. Uh, it's in the same direction in many ways, and we can get into that, but, but at the end of the day, it's changed. And so the way I make cocktails and the way I think about cocktails is not exactly the way I used to. Um, that's part of it. Um, another part of it is the fact that Death & Company, which is a bar that inspired me to begin with, is going into the space. So I'm kind of happy for that. Like it's a really great handoff. And um, so it's the right time. It's the right people who are kind of doing this uh, with me. It's a continuation of journeys. And I'm pretty psyched about that. I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, all of us are fans of Death & Co. And, uh, you know, they're my, they've been my neighbors for the entire time. And Mori Margo's been open uh, on 6th Street, their original location. Um, yep. Happy to see them expanding into Colorado and California and now into D.C. And I think they've had their eyes on D.C. for a while. Um, mm -hmm. So really, really happy to know that the, the baton of that space is going to be passed on. Yeah, I used to spend a lot of time going in between Amori Amargo, uh, uh, Death & Co. and PDT. That used to be the sort of triangle for me when I go to New York. <laughs> yeah, kind of a Bermuda triangle. You get lost in there. <laughs> sure. um, uh, and, and, you know. Uh, again, really happy to hear that they're going to be taking over the space um, and happy for you, man. Listen, uh, careers change. Time moves on. I, you know, you can't be too sentimental about things. And it, it sounds like you're um, letting go of this uh, in kind of a healthy uh, way on a lot, on a lot of levels. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk to you a lot about that stuff. That's that's why we're here. It's a talk show. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your book, Mindful Mixology. Has it dropped yet? Yeah, January 18th was its publication date. And as of yesterday, good news, it's uh, being reprinted. So it's already in its second print. Wow. So wow. it went fast. Yeah. I guess dry January is good for something. Well, dry January <laughs> certainly probably pushed that forward. But, you know, we were talking off air. Um, the consumer demand right now is incredibly high for low and no uh cocktails at bars, but also products on the shelf. 
Yeah. Um, where, do you, where do you think that that's coming from in such a great wave? All it, it seems it feels all at once. I feel like it's been bubbling, but now it is crashing. Right. Well, I think that there's two factors to that. The first one is that it's always been there and we right. haven't been paying attention. So we being the collective bar community, you know, like I think, uh, and, and not everybody, certainly there were some people who were already keyed into it, but there was this group of people who, for whatever reason, some of it was piety or religion, some of it, it was health reasons, some of it, it was because of they're in this gray area between sober and drinking. They were there already, and they just weren't either weren't coming to our spaces, or they're the ones who were like shyly ordering one cocktail and nursing it, or just getting worse, Coca-Cola and lemonade. Not that those are bad things. I love Coca-Cola and lemonade, by the way. They're just not adult sophisticated drinks. And so I think as soon as this opened up, that they were like, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. And so you, you had an immediate audience for it. I think that's the first factor. But then I think the second factor is that there is a growing recognition among a lot of people about their own, you know, relationship with alcohol. And I think that that means that for some people, they want to quit. For some people, they want to slow down. Uh, for some people, they just want options. And so I think that there's a, a group of those people who are growing as well. And, and I think at the end of the day, that's all it is. In, in a way, it appears to us as a fad just because it's new and in the news, but it has always been there. And it, this is just kind of like the, the growth period for it. Yeah. You know, that there's two words that I always love telling people whenever I'm at the bar mm-hmm. that they don't really consider pub and bar and where they come from. Right. So pub is short for it's short for public house, right? It's a place mm-hmm. where people would come together and gather in the community for any kind of political, social activities. Mostly so that we think about, you know, pubs and bars being a place of more social activity than anything else. It just happens mm-hmm. to be alcohol there. And then bar is short for the word barrier. If you were the barkeeper, you were the keeper of the barrier between people and the booze. So it's not necessarily that every public house had to have booze in it. It's a place first and foremost for people to get together and socialize yes. right so i i love that this is happening right now the way that it is because so many people who were dry or you know or, or just really monitored their drinking to a very low like limit um it's not that they didn't want to be social sociable with with other people and, and meet new people and strangers and stuff like that you know, they still want to go to bars and hang out. It's, but you, you know, there's always that thing where they kind of got shamed or they felt shameful, like asking for something without alcohol in it. A lot of times being sneaky about it, you know, because they didn't want their right. friends to know that that soda with lime is not actually a gin and tonic, sure. you know, that kind of thing. So like, it's, it's really great to me. It's more about getting back to that kind of social behavior and, and networking and kind of camaraderie than anything Absolutely. else. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few thoughts on that. Um, one is that I think that, you know, we essentially, um, when we go to a bar, there's so many, or a pub, there's so many elements to it, right? And you you mentioned one that's really important, that's sociality and, and how that relates to other arenas and spheres, po- politics and so forth. Um, and what we feel during those moments, you know, we ascribe to alcohol. We think, okay, I feel good because of the alcohol. Um, But we're also not really paying attention to the fact that there are all these positive emotions that we get from being connected to people, 
from having those conversations, important conversations, by just being in a beautiful environment, by being taken care of. All of those conjure these positive emotions that we can have in that moment. And so it's not to say that alcohol, alcohol is a wonderful piece of social technology. And it, it's something that definitely can aid people in that moment. Um, but there's this other part of it that's happening that we've been ascribing to alcohol that really is just being together, connecting with other people and being out in a beautiful space. And so I think that that's one thing that I try to emphasize, you know, for some people you don't, there's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm missing out now, right? I'm not drinking. So I'm losing something. Um, and, and that can feel really bad. But the truth is that you're, there's lots of things that you, that remained, right? You can still feel great. You can still go out and socialize. And especially now with all of the choices. Um, and then I think the second part of it is, is there's this thing that I'm trying to combat. And I'm sure that uh, many of you all are too, is it when somebody doesn't drink or they, for that night, they're not drinking and they order a, a non-alcoholic cocktail or some drink without alcohol, very often they have to explain their whole life story. You know, like oh, right. somebody has to go, oh, why are you not drinking? And then and then immediately goes in a couple directions. If it's a woman, woman, too often it's assumed they're pregnant. If it's a man or woman, they might assume that they have some problem with alcohol when it might just be that they don't want to drink at that moment. And so that's kind of a, a, a stigma around it that I'd like to help change is to you don't have to tell your life story to order a drink. You know, yeah, um, you can, you can, if you want to, but you don't have to, you don't have to order a dessert. Not every dessert has to have chocolate. You know, it's exactly, you know, what I, I, I went for about a week uh, in January. Uh, a month is just too long for me. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, in that week, I, I tried a lot of non-alcoholic cocktails and, you know, the question still did come up by bartenders or people around me. And you know, they're like, so, whoa, you taking off the month. I'm like, no, I just want to see what these cocktails are about because well one i own a bar and we have a non mm -hmm. we have a no and low alcohol section in our menu that's actually going to be kind of rolled into uh after a conversation last week it's going to be rolled into the full cocktail menu like Souther's doing amazing but, amazing but i i just wanted i just want to know what these like what people are doing because like to me it's like we've done all the really nerdy stuff i mean not all of it but we've done tons of nerdy stuff with all the different amaro and, and chartreuse and like really crazy tinctures and like i want to see what you can do what kind of crazy shit you can pull off with non-alcoholic drinks that's more exciting to me than like the things that i've been playing around with in cocktails for the last 20 years yeah, I totally agree. And and what Damon's referring to is last week on the show, we talked about how I've made a decision company-wide at Overthrow to not separate uh, low and no into their own section, just to add them into the normal list wherever they should fall, uh, you know, according to taste and profile, how we organize the lists. But we're going to put ABV on every cocktail. So some will have 28%, some will have 12 some will have half a percent, some will have zero. And the consumer can then choose their drink based on the profile of the drink and then see that it has, you know, whatever alcohol level it has and, and make their choice from there. I think that's great. It, we had started to do that at the Columbium too, and I think it's just a good idea. Um, and, and one thing that I wanted to point out is that the people who have been the least resistant to non-alcoholic cocktails have been bartenders, in my experience. And there, there's a couple of reasons for that. But the first one being that, especially for craft bartenders, Alcohol is just one of the components of many different components that make a great drink. And so I think people who have, you know, have this sort of, you know, culinary view of cocktails, 
the alcohol, it's like, oh yeah, cool. It can go in there or it doesn't have to. So there's not a lot of stress around that. Um, and the second part of it is that bartenders, honestly, we've seen people um, at their best and at their worst or when they thought they were at their best, but they were actually at their worst. And so it's a nice uh, option to be able to offer somebody these choices so that they can make better choices for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a huge part of it is dealing with the, as you mentioned, the the stigma. And I think that I was surprised when you were listing off the two factors at the beginning there of of the reasons why you think this trend is peaking right now. Uh, I'm surprised one of them wasn't the thing that we seem to not be able to go one show without referencing, you know, the pandemic. I think a lot of people, a lot of people that I know really rethought their relationship to alcohol during the pandemic. And as you know, everybody knows we're, we're curious creatures, us bartenders, we're nerds. We like to experiment. We like to see what works. And I'm, I'm hopeful that with a lot of people really taking some time off, they didn't really have a choice, but they had to take some time off in 2020 to kind of rethink the way that they've been just conducting their lives as the status quo for a little while, that maybe not only can we get away from you know, uh, uh, sort of default assumptions about people that aren't drinking, but also kind of away from, you know, uh, this this knowledge that it has to happen at a bar, this knowledge that a bar is a place where that has to be. Yeah, I mean, a bar can be so many things, as we all know. Um, and, and yeah, I, certainly the pandemic has been a factor in it. People actually, uh, you know, according to, to uh, a couple surveys that I've seen, People drank more during the pandemic. You know, they, this was a stressful time. And that is a reason that people drink. People drink because of stress. And um, even though temporarily it may provide a reprieve, the reality is that there are too many negative correlations with alcohol for it to be something good for stress. It's just not good for stress. It's, it's something that in the long run will cause a lot more problems for somebody if that's the way they're using it. And so I think that, yes, there's some people who have rethought that for the pandemic, but sadly, the pandemic led to more drinking um, and, and taking it out of the bar context, which I think made it really difficult, right? Because at home or in small groups, drinking takes on another dimension. Um, in a bar, there, there are a few things that I think um, aid in it being more sociable and being more sort of like open and, and, um, and, and there being honestly something that that helps stop it along the way. It costs money, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's another one more thing about that. I will say um, that I thought Greg was going to point out. He said almost every week we talk about it. We just have a lot more options for non-alcoholic spirits and drinks in general nowadays. I mean, yeah. like we last week we had the Pathfinder people. On. We uh, about a month or so ago we had uh, the the crew from Monday drinks on. Mm -hmm. Like, there's all these wonderful. Like, we have options now. Athletic so, beer company we had on, yeah, that makes some great non-alcoholic beers. Yeah, yeah, uh, Athletic Brewing Company. Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, it's it's amazing. I mean, like, rap, like I always said, like I've said it for years. I wish whiskey didn't have alcohol in it, so I could drink it. I could start drinking it right now. You know, at <laughs> nine o'clock in the morning out here in California. So, well, <laughs> what do you know, champion? Uh, yeah. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors, and we'll come back and talk to Derek about uh, Kentucky Seventy Four, a non-alcoholic whiskey. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. So, Souther, what did you get up to yesterday? Funny you should ask, pal. I was down at the World Trade Center uh, on the 41st floor all day long tasting cocktails because I'm a judge 
were world class this year. And oh, oh my gosh, the drinks are incredible. Nice. Wait, so awesome, okay, man. you actually were a participant in world class back in the day, and now you're judging. I was a participant two years in a row. Uh, I did very well the first year. I did a little less well the next year, so I decided <laughs> not to go back. Um, you know, if you're, if you're not exceeding, you got to get out of the way for the kids behind you. Um, but it's you know, world and, class, and then judge them, <laughs> and then judge them. World class is uh, absolutely you know the the biggest. It's the big show as far as uh, global competitions go for um, cocktails, and you know it's run by Diageo and Diageo Bar Academy. Uh, it, it's it's an amazing opportunity. Nice. And February is actually Diageo Bar Academy's 10-year anniversary. And so over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has been building this global community fueled by education and inspiration. I mean, you're part of that. A lot of people are part of that. I know that our guest today has been part of that as well. Um, yeah. And during this time, uh, you know, there have been over 120 million bar professionals across 170 countries. 120 million Bar professionals. That's I didn't even know there were that many of us. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? And uh, yeah, so it's just it's 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 got a long reach, and uh, yeah, it's it's been really fun working with Diageo Bar Academy over the past year. Or so uh, because honestly, every week whenever we make these commercials, we get to learn more about what they're doing, and it's pretty impactful. There's always more stuff, and it's a really great way to stay on top of what's going on in the bar world. Uh, yeah, one thing I love that they got pertinent to what we're talking about today with our good friend Derek Brown, they've got a uh, an ABV calculator on there. So if uh, you're like me and you're uh, thinking about how much alcohol is in the things that you're you're drinking or serving to your guests or mixing up, uh, and you want to make that a little bit more notable to your guests, you can calculate out how much is in whatever you're tinkering with, put it on your menu, let people know, help help everybody else stay informed, inspired, and connected just like you are. Yeah, and why wait? Listen, go to Diageo Bar Academy right now. It's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Uh, become a member. Sign up for the newsletter. That's where you're going to get all the real uh, pertinent uh, daily information. Uh, and then uh, take all the classes and do the master classes. It's incredible. And you know what? It's free. Uh, so no barrier for entry except getting a hold of a laptop. Amazing. So check it out today. Go to diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Cheers. And we are back. You were listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're talking with Washington, D.C.'s Derek Brown. And when we left, we were talking about uh, a s- exciting new non-alcoholic spirit that you've been working on uh, that we are stoked to hear about and potentially even see behind some bars. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So uh, my next big role, I guess, is a director of education for Spiritless, which is a company run by uh, three women uh, who decided that they wanted to create a bourbon alternative. They're all from Kentucky. And so it makes it makes sense. Um, And so what they created was Kentucky 74. And it's a distilled spirit. Um, It's not bourbon. I mean, like I especially like to put that up front because I think, especially when Dame was talking about like I'd like to drink whiskey all day, I was like, oh man, I do. I also love the taste of, of whiskey, even if I don't really drink that much anymore. Um, and 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 in a way, it does. It shares some of the characteristics, right? Some of the sort of organoleptic characteristics, like the vanilla and char and all of that. Um, but it, it certainly. You know, alcohol is a special molecule, as one of our founder, Lauren, always says. And so it's really hard to replicate. So what we have is something that I think is a great substitute in cocktails. And so I really like to emphasize that because you could grab a bottle of it. You can taste it and be like, that's good, but it tastes like tea, you know, like in a way. It you know doesn't have as strong of a bite. It doesn't have, you know, but when you when you start to play around in cocktails and, and you 
re and you are you know recognizing that it needs to be you know um, you need to add things to enhance that. I think it works awesome, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm behind it because I think it's a great product, and I think it's you know um, a great alternative in cocktails. See, I, I I love that, and I really do think that that's the way forward because my beef pun semi intended with the Impossible Burger has mm. always been that I don't like it when plants pretend to be meat. If I want to eat a vegetarian meal and, you know, I'm, I'm an omnivore, so I have a luxury that not a lot of people do. I'm just checking my own privilege for a second there. But if I want to eat a vegetarian burger, I would so much rather have an awesome black bean patty or a super dope falafel burger or like a nice juicy portobello burger. Like I would rather let those natural ingredients of those vegetables that are delicious in their own right shine as opposed to eating a you know proprietary blend of things that are designed to trick my brain into thinking I'm eating beef uh and 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 I think that that's awesome that you're taking that same approach because you're right you know alcohol and the uh the flavor molecules that we get through fermentation and distillation are very very specific things and I'm much more interested in seeing someone who's like okay what can we do in this realm what can we do and play around with in this space without trying to like fool our brains into thinking that we're drinking something that we're not, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, I do think it has analog qualities, but I, I totally, and I think that there's two camps, you know, there's one that shares your point of view, which I think is a good one. I mean, and there's lots of like very creative spirits out there, um, non-alcoholic spirits. Um, and then there's ones that are more sort of like Monday you, you spoke about or spiritless to some degree that are analog and, and, and they're not quite, the exact thing, but they can work in similar cocktails. So, so I like it all personally, because I, I really think, you know, it's a, a diverse palette to play with and work with. And that's what I've always enjoyed doing as a bartender. Um, but, it, but I definitely get your point of view. I think that's an important one. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because for me, like when the pandemic hit, I, I just started, I, yeah, I was making a lot of cocktails at home, but then after a while I was like, all right, fuck this. I'm just drinking highballs. It's just easier. And like I started, I realized, you know, especially living in California and not being close to Grand Army. Um, and I just wasn't in the practice so much anymore uh, of of making cocktails all the time. And I just kind of went for convenience. And then I realized, oh, shit, I'm just drinking more because I can just make a two ingredient mixed drink for myself. But now that there have become all these, you know, or interesting non-alcoholic spirits, air quote, um, on the market, I've found myself actually making more cocktails at home, mm -hmm. like actually pulling out the tools and, you know, having, as, you know, Souther says, got to do the dishes. Um, yep. but, but, but it's, it's kind of inspired me to start making mixed drinks again. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I will, I will say that like most of the non-alcoholic spirits, I can't really mix them in a highball because there are certain elements that go into them that, don't really necessarily shine so much when you kind of lengthen them with water, especially sparkling water. It kind of exposes some of the things that maybe haven't been quite tweaked yet. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you're making like a non-alcoholic old fashioned, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. So like that's, that's been, you know, getting back into that and even, you know, using things like Verju and um, just like all kinds of different non-alcoholic ingredients that are kind of somewhat alcohol adjacent. Um, it's been really fun. And like, yeah, it's kind of 
I've kind of discovered a new new life in cocktail creation at home. That's from awesome. Damon, Damon, I think you're very good at many things, but you are also the king of segues. That I will give you as well, because I'd love to talk about my book, Mindful <laughs> yeah. Exology, which is all about that. Um, and I share your your uh, your enthusiasm for uh, you know non alcoholic cocktails or low and no alcoholic cocktails because you know I, in a way, and this isn't fair, but it's true, is I started to get bored with cocktails, actually, in some ways. I felt a little bit bored with what I was working with. And so it was getting too weird, you know, what I was throwing in them. And so when I got to like no and low alcohol cocktails, I, I realized that I had to kind of like relearn how to make them, you know? Yeah. And so that there were certain things that I had to think about, like what makes a you know, from a sensory point of view, what makes a cocktail? And that was the kernel of my book, right? I realized that there were certain aspects of it that were important. One was the intensity of flavor, right? If like when you drink a cocktail, you know, you're drinking a cocktail. Right. And so it has that intense flavor to it. And you mentioned like in highballs, the good point, you know, some of them just drowned in the highball. Mm -hmm. And so it, it doesn't feel like a cocktail. Um, there's the piquancy. I call it piquancy. You could call it, you know, bite, whatever it is. It's that, you know, thing that twists your face when you take a shot of Fernet um, or any, you know, whiskey, tequila or whatever. Um, and I think all everybody knows that one. Um, yeah. And and then there's the the texture of it. I mean, there's a certain weight that alcohol has. You know, it's not water. It is weightier. And and so I think that those three things are really important to the creation of a cocktail. And then obviously just the length or the volume that alcohol takes up. So when I started thinking about those four points, I realized I can use all these different ingredients in there. Verjus is one that you mentioned. Hell yeah. Tea is another one. Um, then I started just playing around and I found that I could make a lot of really great non-alcoholic cocktails um, using, in some cases, just household ingredients. You know, I used a lot of aquafaba. I used a lot of uh, salt. I used a lot of um, apple cider vinegar. Uh, and all of those work really great in bolstering, uh, you know, and creating these sensory points. Um, and so it was really fun. So Mindful Mixology, my new book, is really about that. Um, the low alcohol cocktails, one funny thing came up along the way. I don't know if you all have ever read Dinah Sanders' Shim uh, Low Alcohol yeah. Cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great book. Um, uh, and, you know, I talked to her and uh, she was like, you know, if you really look back, there's a lot of classic cocktails that are low alcohol. And I was like, that's true. It, there are so many that are that are low alcohol. So, um, our well, bartending. I would, I would, I would even argue. Bears. Yeah, I would even argue, Derek, that uh, many of the cocktails, the classic cocktails, whether they're low or no, uh, low alcohol or not, they're also just much smaller. So by by proxy, they're lower. Does that make sense? Or am I crazy? Yeah. Yeah, if you if you drink you know one martini and you drink ten beers, you know the ten beers are going to be the thing that sinks you, not the one martini. But but yeah, but but one thing that's um, you know that I found in that is that there was the, all these great low alcohol cocktails, and and I didn't really have to invent much there. So in terms of no alcohol cocktails, I felt very creative and inventive. In terms of the low alcohol cocktails, I felt like I could, you know, put in things there that were kind of already existed and that we loved. And that was really cool, whether it's like a port flip or a red wine sangaree. Um, so, and, and, you know, I made a, a determination with my book from the beginning. I could have gone no alcohol, all no alcohol, or I could have done low alcohol. 
But the vast majority of people who are reducing their drinking are people who drink. Um, and I thought that's the audience I want to re uh, reach because ultimately for somebody who's sober, um, this might not be the book for them, right? Because it is, it does have alcohol cocktails in it. Um, and these cocktails do kind of taste in some cases like a cocktail with alcohol. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, I clarified that, um, this is not a book about sobriety. This is a book about creativity. Very cool. Oh, I think that's really well put. Yeah. Um, because, you know, again, I'm going to add to my menu ABV. And the reason that I even decided to do that was because I had already sort of uh, envisioned this structure where I have a section, because it's always a section, of, of uh, no alcohol. But then I was going to add another section that was gonna, I was going to call non-intoxicating. And everything in that section was going to have an ABV lower than a half a percent, which is considered by the government to be non-alcoholic, right? So you can have your mm -hmm. non-alcoholic beer that's uh, less than half a percent. Um, but then I thought, well, now I've got all these sections. I feel like I'm separating people out. I feel like I'm not being as inclusive as I could be. So I decided to just put them all in one and just list the ABVs. Um, because I think the decision isn't always cut and dry as no decision is. I think a lot of people are going to go out for an evening and they're going to say to themselves, it, once the, once this is on the menu, I think they'll, I, I really do believe people will see that and they'll say, you know what, I'm going to start with a Manhattan that's got, you know, like 23, 20, 24%. And then I'm going to have uh, maybe even another Manhattan, but then I'm going to scan down and be like, you know what, I'm going to grab this drink that's only got 12% or, uh, and then I'll, then I'll go back to a Manhattan. They're not, not drinking. They're choosing to drink in a way that they can extend their evening. They're understanding their dose and they're taking their medicine accordingly. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's about choice, right? And I think that in a way, especially in the early days of the cocktail renaissance revolution, whatever you want to call it, um, and, and, and I should just you know uh, condemn myself for this, is that it was all about alcohol and it was all about what I wanted to create for people. You know, and, and in a way that kind of made sense because at that time, classic cocktails were having a resurgence and we had to kind of fight for their place in the culinary world. But um, now I think it's really not about the alcohol. It's about the person um, and their choices and what they how they want to feel. Right. That's really what it comes down to. And so uh, mindful mixology, uh, that phrase in itself is about being mindful, not in the sense of being Zen or you know, although I appreciate mindfulness too, um, just in the, in, in the, like mind the gap, you know, like mindful of <laughs> what you're doing, be aware. You can drink as much or as little as you want, but are you aware of the reasons why? Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to put myself out there as some sort of, you know, paragon of, of mindfulness. I definitely don't get a uh, hundred dollars worth of, uh, use a year out of the headspace app on my phone, not even close. <laughs> um, but that is one thing that I'm really looking forward to in this month is kind of like actually having the distance and the objectivity to look at, okay, what is what is the role that this thing that I've been putting into my body on a daily basis for pretty much the last 15 years, what, what space does that take up in my life and what is going to be there when I take a, a step back? So, you know, I'm not, that's another reason why I was kind of anti-dry January is the whole like, you know, yeah, you know, be be tough, you know, grow a spine, uh, you know, cold turkey thing d doesn't appeal to me because I think that misses the point of actually examining the role that it takes in your life. And I'd like to to ask you, Derek, I know that a, a couple of years ago, you also 
had a, a moment that caused you to take a step back and sort of re-examine the role that alcohol was playing in your life. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share a little bit of that with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, alcohol is at my lowest and highest points in my life, right? Um, and so as I was going along, I was drinking happily, daily, weekly. Sometimes I was drunk for weeks, honestly. Um, and at some point, I realized that if there was a gauge and one part of it was the black and one part of the red, is I was starting to get in the red, you know, that uh, my health was not very good. My relationships were not very good. Um, and my finances were every you know, marker in my life was not doing well. And the commonality there was, you know, alcohol was, was kind of involved in all of those things to some degree. And so I took some time. Um, I started addressing what was the real issue in my life, which was mental health. Um, and, and unfortunately, that is a big thing that happens within our industry is people, you know, have mental health issues. And uh, it is scary and hard to talk about. And it was really scary for me at first. Um, and so I learned more about my own diagnosis, which at the time was dual, a dual diagnosis of potential AUD or alcohol use disorder, and uh, which alcoholism is what people call it, um, and uh, bipolar depression, which is like bipolar two is what they sometimes call it. Um, and in both cases, I realized, oh, I gotta, I gotta put on the brakes. Um, and everything changed in my life. I started to focus more on health, my family. I started to, you know, uh, feel better. And I realized that mental health was the bigger issue for me and that I, I was able to stop drinking or drink mindfully. But it's, I still cut out alcohol because I don't need it right now. Um, and so I think that need is really what makes alcohol dangerous. If you don't need it, drink it. If you do need it, don't drink it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's kind exactly. of a paradox. Um, exactly. And I, I love that you're being so open about this. And, and I just want to jump in and maybe destigmatize a little bit alcohol use disorder, which even you said, you know, is alcoholism. Uh, I think that AUD is the broader term. And I think we as a group, especially in our industry, need to come to better grips with that term um, because it, it doesn't just mean one thing. Um, AUD can, you know, it has a, a lot of forms and, and, and I think we lump it into the one, you know, uh, it's mm -hmm. alcoholism, uh, but it's, you know, there are other, uh, you know, uses of alcohol that are, that don't maybe go all the way that far, uh, mm -hmm. that you could be suffering from and you're not even realizing it. Uh, but once you can kind of like realize it and get a grip on it, you can have a little bit more control over it and your life. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's a spectrum, you know, uh, yeah. everything is, everything is right. <laughs> so I think, yeah. So I, so I came to that realization and I was shit scared because I thought, okay, I've told everybody that they should drink and I've told everybody what they should drink. And I've been pounding this pavement for a while. Um, what are they going to think when I turn around and be like, I don't drink anymore. Um, and I was scared, but when I started talking to my friends and family and then having a broader Kind of discussion about it, I realized that people were incredibly supportive um, and that, um, you know, it led to this moment where um, I decided a bar is not the right thing for me right now and that I want to write on no and low alcohol cockouts. And the levels of support that I've received have been tremendous, especially within the bar community. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that um, uh, to everyone, including you, you all who have supported me in this, uh, this journey. It's really it's been great. And, and I think, Greg, just to, to throw in something, I think you're right. Finding something else is a really good way to 
to do this. You know, for me, it was skateboarding. Actually, it was a big yeah. part of it. Skateboarding <laughs> and mindfulness and things like that. But for other people, lifting weights is a great thing to do. There's so many different options and there's so many wonderful things you can do without drinking. It's just hard to imagine when you drink all the time. Right. And for you, that was a return. It was a return to skateboarding. Uh, yeah, it was something right. that maybe got out of your hands because alcohol got in your got in your hands, right? Yeah, uh, you can't skateboard hungover. It's hard. Well, I mean, people do it all the time, but I, and not, I can't and, skateboard. And, and, not, and not so well drunk either, right? So <laughs> like I just sort of took it away maybe, and now you've re- reclaimed it, and that's great. Listen, we're, we're ticking down the time here. I want to make sure that we get it out there. Mindful Mixology, where can people pick it up that's best for you? I mean, I always recommend going to independent booksellers. Uh, Rizzoli is the publisher, so you can go to their website and look for your favorite bookseller on it. Obviously, you can get it at the Monolith if you want. Um, but if you do, please, please, a friend of mine, a very good friend, a wonderful bartender, too, once told me to get those um, reviews on there. So if you do get it and you like it, leave a review. If you get it and you don't like it, do not leave a review. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Mindful Mixology. Uh, I got to get a copy for myself. I, as we were talking and you brought up the shim, I forgot about that book. I have it right here in front of me now. I pulled it down off my shelf. I'm going to breeze through that as well. came out in 2013. So this conversation has been going on. We just haven't been paying attention, right? Uh, yeah, but here we are, you know, yeah. and I think that's great. Thank you all for including me today. It's uh, been a wonderful discussion. Listen, man, thank you so much for being on, and uh, and thanks for everything you've uh, done in the past. I mean, uh, let's not forget, Derek Brown, highest-ranking bartender in the United States of America, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, for the, 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 what, what was your title with the, with the National Archives again? I was the Chief uh, Spirits – gosh, I can't even remember what it is uh, – Chief Spirits Officer, we'll say. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for the National Archives in D.C. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, man, thanks so much for, for being on the show with us and talking to us about Low and No, uh, uh, your book, Mindful Mixology, uh, and, of course, uh, Kentucky 74. I want to get my hands on some of that because I've been tasting through a lot of non-alcoholic spirits because I'm building this list for all of my bars. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's all I've got, guys. Anything else? I just want to say, Derek, it's it's been a while since I've seen you. Uh, it, you're a true champion in this industry and and beyond, and it's just great to be able to catch up with you. And it, you're, you've always got something new going on, man, and it's always fascinating. <laughs> like you 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 really push this industry along, and I just want to say thanks for that. And oh, thank uh, you. Well, I'm amongst I'm amongst titans here, so I really appreciate that. Thanks, man. <laughs> well, guys, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out Mindful Mixology and. Kentucky 74. I can't wait to get my hands on it too. Um, and go to Heritage Radio Network and check out the other shows. Click on the beating heart to donate to the station. Keep us going. And until next week, cheers, everyone. Cheers, everybody. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you. So you don't shun the devil with your right. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.